Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Don't you know you've got your daddy's eyes? Daddy was an alcoholic. But your mother kept it all inside Threw it all away I was looking for another you And I found another one Right, first things first, out the gate, James. When you invite a northern man into your home, you've got to present him with a, a high-quality tea. Does it pass the test? Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. Let's clunk Cheers. then. Let's clunk <laughs> on that. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to say before we start on this is, has anyone ever told you that you look like Joaquin Phoenix? Uh, they have. Yeah? Do you get it a lot, occasionally? Um, not that often, no. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, I think there's worse people that I could <laughs> right? be compared to. Um, occasionally, it's... Uh, Slightly, slightly derogatory. Like you look like an old whacking Phoenix. An old whacking. Or, or you You're look. Like, he's older than me, surely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or you look like a fat whacking Phoenix. <laughs> Depending on the role, though. Yeah. Have yeah. you seen the trailer for the Joker? Um. Yeah. Dude, yeah. you excited? Absolutely. Yeah. Are you yeah. Uh, a movie guy? Um. Yeah. I must admit. Um. I'm, I'm a more of a fan of like. Uh, kind of downbeat, uh, romantic drama films okay um like put me in the picture give me a couple of examples i love shane meadows films um and I'm i've had stephen graham on the show yeah he's amazing um, wonderful man yeah yeah and uh i saw a film i enjoyed recently called uh mr roosevelt okay about this girl who um splits up from her ex-boyfriend and then the cat gets ill so she has to go back and live with him and his new girlfriend and all the kind of emotional dramas that ensue and and comedy that ensues from that scenario that that's is, is that a british of, film it's american it's american it's on, uh, right right on netflix 
Okay, I'm going to check that out. I mean, for me, I think what you're suggesting there is that you like films which are akin to stage plays and they're more about just scenario, circumstance, character, rather than big blockbuster comic book action films, which is why I like The Joker, though, because it looks like it's going to be very different to a lot of those. And it it kind of just looks... Have you seen the film The King of Comedy with Robert De Niro? Yeah. It looks just like a darker version of that. And the fact that they've got De Niro in it as the Jerry Lee Perfect. character yeah. is like, wow, all right, meta. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. I'm glad uh, Peaky Blinders is back on as well. I think that's well, amazing. I'm from Birmingham originally, yeah. so it's that show has done more for Birmingham than anything since Black Sabbath, I would say. like yeah. Because every time a band comes to play Birmingham, if they're like a rock or a metal band, they're like, oh, it's the home of Sabbath, it's the home of metal. And you're like, yeah, that's great. But that was 50 years ago now. We need something else that's going to inject some sort of cultural revolution into this city. You know, obviously Manchester had the Hacienda in the 90s and that did unfathomable amounts for that city on every level. And Birmingham's just kind of been stuck in the past for so long. And then boom, Peaky Blinders comes along and it's like, finally, it's cool to be from Birmingham. Yeah. Which I never saw coming, to be honest. (laughs) I love what I love about that as well is... It's it's got the action and the drama and the shootings and the killings and and the music man but, the but soundtrack. There's loads of little emotional subplots in that as well. It's it's amazing. Yeah, the music's fantastic. Are you a Stranger Things fan? Do you get into that? Um, I saw the first series and enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, there's three out now, James. I know. You got but, some um, catch up to play. I I think because I've had it. I'm one of these people who's a bit stubborn in terms of like i've had it shoved down my throat so much that i'm you're like nah, slightly i'm reluctant. not enjoying the pack now <laughs> yeah 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 although i should be like that with peaky blinders but i can't resist, you can't resist. Just, it's yeah. undeniably great yeah, there's another yeah. good show and then we'll move on to you and your life rather than netflix shows the sinner have you seen that i've heard about it you've yeah. got to check it out um yeah. i just started the second season last night and it's they're not really linked. Um, there's one character who appears in both, and that's kind of the uh, the thread. But basically, series one has Jessica Beale in it. Um, and it's just, I mean, you can't even really describe what it's about. It's like a crime case thriller type scenario. Um, yeah. But it's just so brilliant. And then the new one has just got this young kid in it, and he is the, the suspect for this heinous crime and that. But I recommend it. If you like, Excellent. as you say, just subtle drama, Yeah, the sinner. Perfect. Be right up your alley. So uh, you were born in Wigan, right? Yeah. Grew up in Chorley. Mm -hmm. Um, On the subject of television, is Chorley as League of Gentlemen-esque as perhaps (laughs) you might think? Because I was reading that the the guys who created that show based a lot of their characters for League of Gentlemen on a little village in the Chorley area called Adlington. Is that right? Did you know that? Um, I've not spent that much time in Adlington. But you know it. Um, I know it, yeah. Is it? Definitely. Is it a little bit local? <laughs> There's probably people from Adlington listening, so okay. Uh, oh, well, I retract that statement. I think, uh, <laughs> but I I believe that one of the the uh, Barbara character in League of Gentlemen was based on a teacher that used to teach at my old school. Oh, really? at your yeah. school? Yeah, amazing. Because I'm pretty sure that Steve Pemberton went to that school as well. A few years before me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hasten to add. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> yes, and he, he based Barbara on this uh, character. That's amazing. So what was that area like for you growing up there? Um, It was pretty good. It was pretty quiet. Um, Yeah, it was uh, 
it's quite a rural place, so um, isolated. And did that sit well with a young James Walsh? Did you enjoy the nature and the seclusion and the the quieter life, or were um, you yearning for the city and culture? And yeah, I think um, some people absolutely sort of cherish their childhood, and I don't get me wrong, I had a, a good childhood, and my my parents were good to me. There was no issues there really. Um, but brothers it, and sisters, did you have? Yeah, them I've got a, yeah. an older brother and a a younger sister. And were you guys close? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it definitely felt like I was kind of sleepwalking through it, like not really knowing who I was, what I was about, um, not really finding the people that I totally connected with. Mm-hmm. At school, so you were kind of a yeah. little bit isolated and yeah, kind of get, environment, getting right? on with people, but not really connecting. Yeah, and then college was where it all, <clears throat> where I kind of, found myself and where was college in wigan in, in, in yeah. wigan so the was it bright lights of wigan <laughs> wigan casino baby yeah so is that because you were finding like-minded classmates who were into the same things that you were or is it just that you were then introduced to say music and these new things and then you were kind of like all right that's what i'm into that's what my life has been lacking yeah. at this time yeah Britpop was a massive there uh, a massive thing. Were you right there in the heart of Britpop? Were you like 93, 94, 95? Was that the college? Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. perfect. Um, I I still love football and, and football was a big thing at primary school. Um, but I was never any good at it. So that kind of held me back in terms of having a, a bigger peer and friend group. Yeah. I mean, because you can um, be passionate about something as a kid, but if it's a sport and you're not any good... Yeah, that's not going to fly, is it? No, it's going to no. be like your shit. Yeah, you're not in the team. Yeah. Go home. Um, <laughs> but I still love Liverpool. Um, but yeah, music was something that I, I started and kept at it, and gradually got better and better. And I was like, hang on, this wasn't happening with football. <laughs> like, so I, this I can do this. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe this this is something I can actually uh, succeed in. So uh, and the rest is history. There we go. So were you not? musical at all as a kid growing up was your, your was your household not a musical household um was there records in the house as a kid i've always sang i've, I've sang since like i don't know six seven years old in primary school choir and church choir and um and always knew you had a pretty good voice yeah, yeah. I, I remember well i only realized when i was cast as one of the three kings and I'd assume that singing was just what people did. Like you'd sing around the house and it's it's just something people do. And the other two kings opened their mouths and the, the sound that came out was just <laughs> horrific. <laughs> so, so hang on, maybe this is something I can do that not, not everyone can do. So uh, What a great moment of realisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um but and then I started definitely the the sort of my dad's Neil Young records and Bruce Springsteen records combined with the rise of Britpop was the real inspiration to start learning the guitar and a little bit of keyboard. And that's when it really came to light. I guess I was around 13, 14 um, when I started to take it really seriously. To dabble. Yeah. What age did you start writing your own? material either lyrics or melodies or 
full songs or um when i went to college like 16 um so is that where you yeah. met the rest of the guys that would go on to become star yeah. sailor yeah you're all yeah. at college together yeah nice so it's um, college band you did all right yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> how many college bands can say they got a massive was it a number two album that debut one it was huge yeah. i mean how many albums back then did you have to sell to get number two in the charts um, We're talking like over a million, obviously, right? Yeah, it's done over a million now. I think it was 100,000 in the first week or something. In the, of your first yeah. album? Yeah. I mean, how do, you, how do you get on the radar of EMI, first of all? You start the band, you're playing around town. Mm. Um, they sign you before you've got any music out there, right? Uh, yeah. 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 How does that happen? Um, Especially back then, when kind of being signed was a lot more of a coveted... I think, you know, status to achieve. Now, obviously, the record industry is kind of shot, so it doesn't have that same. Um, well, I guess like, like people always say, there's a any most success has an element of uh, of hard work and good fortune. Mm-hmm. And our good fortune was uh, my brother had started working as an accountant, or not as an accountant, but for an accountancy firm down in London. Maybe he was qualified by then, I don't know. <laughs> um and one of his clients was Heavenly Records. Um so obviously we were giving him demo safe after demo safe going, Can you please pass this on to Jeff Barrett? And he's like obviously reluctant because it's like just um, some kids, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And my little the accountant's bro- brother, yeah, my little brother's band, <laughs> and uh, he got it got to a point where we sent a demo with Lullaby and Alcoholic on, and he didn't sort of offer us a deal or anything on the spot, but they offered us a gig at the social, um, so we all uh, and I'll never forget, um. The drummer couldn't get the time off bargain booths. Amazing. <laughs> so he did our first London gig uh, in that downstairs bar in the social without the drummer. So without a drummer at all? No drummer. No, just, zero drummer. So there's me on... Because he's selling white lightning back yeah. at the shop. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to lose... I'm going to have to pay to go down to London and lose the wages from the shop. I can't do it. Well, that is... I mean, that's a decision that a lot of people, I think, have to make. And often... Because you can't see down the line that the yeah. band's going to be successful. I've heard yeah. of loads of stories like that where the guy's like, you know what, I've got to just stay here and yeah. keep my head down and yeah. I don't want to lose my job. Um, he's lucky that he's still in the band. So <laughs> You didn't fire yeah. him for that no, then? No. Um, <laughs> so there's me on acoustic, uh, Barry playing keyboards and Stell playing bass and uh, James Oldham, who's an NME journalist, uh, happened to be there to I think to see the band that was coming on after us it's all all these like uh, mad little coincidences and it, he gave us this there's a tiny write-up like about three paragraphs but amazing <laughs> like, and again back then a write-up in the enemy would have meant a, a lot big more thing yeah 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 um and then people started asking labels and publishers started asking for the demo that we'd recorded are you called star sailor at this point um. Yeah, because um, we were called uh, Morph 
<laughs> and then water face. And uh, we'd all kind of agreed that water face was a terrible name, <laughs> even though the, the reference is quite cool because it's in a Neil Young album. And uh, once the gig at the social had been confirmed, they phoned me up and said, we need to put a name on the poster. That isn't Waterface. That isn't Waterface. <laughs> and someone had sent me a copy of the Tim Buckley album, Star Sailor. So I literally glanced at it. Like, um, and uh, the rest the rest is history. I'm going to keep saying that. There right? we go. Yeah, that's my catchphrase. That's the catchphrase. Yeah. Well, I mean, Tim Buckley is, obviously people I think of a certain generation, our age group will probably be more familiar with his son. Jeff but for me I was always way more interested in Tim's work because I'm a mm. very much kind of 60s 70s dude there's that album that he did Goodbye and Hello and yeah. there's the last song on there um, which is called uh, what's it called What Morning Glory right yeah. I was about to say what's the story Morning Glory <laughs> we'll get to them later <laughs> Morning Glory the last song on the album fucking beautiful beautiful yeah. song yeah I was one of those people that was first introduced to his music through Jeff Buckley I still love Jeff Buckley as well um, but yeah, the the obviously they're both amazing vocalists, but completely unique and different kinds of talent. I think. Yeah. So were they both people that had you know a certain influence on you as a as a singer? Yeah. 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 I think uh, there was a sort of understated swagger about them, whereas uh, the likes of Ian Brown, Jarvis Cocker. Uh, Liam Gallagher, obviously, um, who I love as well, um, but maybe couldn't emulate quite as well because theirs is very much a stated swagger. Yes, it's here it is. This (laughs) is my swagger and all its swaggerness. (laughs) Enjoy it or get out of the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Um, So let's talk about going into the studio to make that first album Hmm. and that experience and, you know, the kind of the, uh, the memories that come flooding back from record number one in the studio emi major label um 20 21 years old are you at that time as well yeah wow yeah so the dream's just been given to you like on yeah. a plate put us in the picture <laughs> was it a fun yeah time it was, it was amazing we went up to rockfield oh the where... legendary welsh yeah i mean list me some groups that have done records and they're everyone from queen to queen oasis yeah um, can you feel the history when you get in a place like that? Is it kind of seeped into the walls? Yeah, 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 definitely. As a vibe, I think it's a good idea to do a residential album as well and kind of escape eat, the eat, distractions. Yeah, yeah, eat, sleep, and breathe it. Yeah. Um, so, how long were you there? Six weeks. Wow. Yeah, a lot of drums. <laughs> <laughs> Was all the material ready when you got in, or were you sort of writing and? editing and rewriting as you were recording as well um i'd say 90 percent of it was was already there um but we were doing uh filming for a documentary or maybe like a channel four four music thing and just sort of sound checking and i started playing these chords and that became way to fall, which made the album and then got on a big computer game and it's become quite a big song for us. So 
Well, that was the other thing back then, wasn't it, man? Like games were so key to breaking bands. Yeah. Like a big famous example is the Goldfinger song Superman that was in Tony Hawk skateboarding. Yeah. And there's like legitimate careers have been made off the back of one song and one game. Yeah, for me, FIFA was the one. Like, I always remember all the songs on yeah, yeah. On FIFA. Um, but yes, that's everything else was kind of pretty much there, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a good experience and good working with Steve Osborne as well because mm-hmm. he was he's quite a hard taskmaster. Was he? Of, so he was. Cracking the whip, yeah, head teacher, yeah. Type but that's, character. I guess, is exactly what you need when it's your first time in that environment. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to mess around and doss about and definitely waste money and time. <laughs> um, I remember that song, "Alcoholic," was pretty much everywhere after its release as well. Mm. Um, a very sad song as well. What's that song about? Um, I guess it's about uh, trying to think the best way to describe it. It's like people always ask me if if it's from direct personal experience, and it it is, but more what I've seen around me, and uh, yeah, kind in of your neighbourhood growing that, up, yeah, and like nature and nurture, and uh, how your background doesn't necessarily have to shape who you become, and um, so yeah, it's. Uh, it's one of those things where you kind of write a song and half know what you're talking about and half it comes naturally and then you have to talk about it for years to come. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay. Um, but it's it's definitely a song that's resonated with people and um, alcoholism is, like a lot of sort of working class areas, is definitely a, a big issue in in the sort of Chorley and Wigan and Lancashire area. I think as well, it's important to put those kind of topics at the forefront of Mm. people's consciousness. Um, And if you can do that with a popular song, that's kind of the most powerful expression I think that a musician can make is to have a successful song that obviously you sing along in your head and it's catchy and, you know, it has that instant kind of hook but then there's stuff bubbling away beneath the surface that make you think and yeah, question yourself and the world around you. And yeah, and I you think, can take yeah. it on either the two levels together or just the one, do you know what I mean? You can just enjoy the song or you can look into it and go, oh, okay, what's going on here? I think it's a song that I could only have written at that time of my life and that age as well because I was brave enough and young enough to go, no, I'm going to... Like in the crossfire, which came out a few years after, it was about sort of hearing war on the radio. And like I say, I was kind of young enough and brave enough to go, no, I I am going to go for this quite difficult issue and and put it into a song. Whereas the older you get, you're more, um, what's the word? I tend to overthink things and think, is this if someone's been affected by this, are they going to like it or dislike it? Or, or is there, is are some of the words open to misinterpretation and you, it goes round and round your head. Whereas when you're younger, you just go, you just go for it. Basically. You go, yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I think yeah. cautious and reserved is what we become more of. Yeah. As we grow older, isn't it? Yeah. 
and you, you worry, as you say, about rattling the nest and mm-hmm. either offending or alienating or people misconstruing or misunderstanding. Yeah. And where it's like, well, I think when you have that, the swagger of youth behind you, yeah, it's you, like, no, you, it's on my mind. I'm going to say it. Exactly. Just put it out there. Yeah. See what happens. I think and probably, it comes from such a raw and honest place then, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when you get signed and you're making this album and it goes, is it an instant overnight kind of success story? Is it like, boom, here it is, it's big? Or is it like a kind of slow, gradual um, burner over the course of the year? No, it, 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 it went pretty big, pretty quickly. Pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. And how does that change your life? Because are you already a parent before the album's out? Um, or does the child arrive in the the storm of uh, that the, album's release? In the, in the storm, wow. I was uh, on tour in America when I found out um, that, that your wife was pregnant, or that the baby had arrived. <laughs> um, that she was pregnant. <laughs> there <you go>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so. what was that day like? Stressful, exciting, terrifying. Uh, all of the above. all of the above. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, it was uh, it was life changing. It was like, uh, yeah, um, and to find out over the phone because um, we were away for a long time. So uh, who were you touring with? Were you on the road on your own, or were you supporting someone? Or uh, we were on our own at that point. I think it was our first American tour. And uh, so you're like living every band's dream, basically. Yeah, you've, you've conquered the UK. You're stateside. You're doing it. Yeah. And the call comes in, James, you're going to be a father. <laughs> Does that then, because I think when you get fame and success at quite a young age, obviously a lot of people historically mm. go off the rails and, you know, can kind of ruin their life in many ways. Mm. Did you finding out that that was going to be, you know, your life back home, did that focus your attention in a way and make you play it a little bit more sensible because there's more at stake? Um, yeah, I think so. It definitely uh, put um, women off the menu because <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not uh, one of those people. Yeah. Um, so what yeah. about what about the kind of after party, alcohol, drugs, that side of it? Um, Is there a bit of that that gets enjoyed for a while, or are you just kind of like I can't be doing any of that either? I'm a dad now. I like a drink. Yeah. I I did drink a bit back then, but. Uh, yeah, it's definitely in the back of your mind that you can't go completely off the rails. So there's someone else to think about. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and the work rate and the the reason for doing it suddenly not changes, but there's an added dimension to it. Where it's like I've I've got a family to support now. So, um, but I think that's uh, unfortunately we're we're not together anymore. Um. I think that's the difficult part of being a musician is the balance, the balance. And, and also you've got to support a family. So you've got to be on the road and gigging and doing everything you can, but then you can't spend time with them. So it's, uh, it's the worst catch 22, isn't it? Especially now that records aren't really selling them, Mm. you know, the amount that they used to is bands make most of their money now on the road. As you say, you've got to be on tour to exist as a professional musician. And it's when yeah. you're away from home that the, the pressures mount up and, yeah, you know, you miss them, they miss you. And it's like, well, I have to be here to be able to pay the bills for the house that we live in. And yeah. 
Yeah, it's a it's a difficult old gig, isn't it? These days, absolutely. I bet you're glad you yeah. kind of got the tail end of the the record business. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> there were, there's some good times as well where uh, uh, Neve, when she was, she's 17 now, really, but wow. she'd uh, come out on the road with us quite a bit as well, and uh, I'm really fortunate to be in a band with um, my friends. Is it still um, the four same guys? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Who, Again, that's quite a rare story, isn't it? Who were totally cool with a two-year-old kid yeah. <laughs> being, being on the tour bus <laughs> and running around the dressing room. Um, so, uh, yeah, it might might have been more difficult if it was a, a band that's kind of put together of people <laughs> who don't know each other as well. It was always like... And we've all got kids now as well, so we're all completely understanding that they, they have to weave in and out of our sort of music lives here and there does your <coughs> excuse me i told you i'd start doing it <coughs> does your songwriting change once you become a father as well do you start thinking about different subject matters to write about does it um, change you as an artist and a creative yeah i think you yeah i'm trying to think i guess you become your songwriting becomes slightly more inward thinking and because your life becomes more of a, not a drama, but it, it's more, it's enhanced and it's, there's a lot to draw from, a lot of ups and downs of marriage and, and having a kid that you can mine for your songwriting. Whereas before, there were more songs like In the Crossfire and um, Alcoholic, which were sort of more outward. Here's me and here's the world. And I guess... Once kids come along, there's a lot more songs which are like, here's me and here's my little world. My Trying to figure it all out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it must be, I'm not a dad myself, but almost all of my friends now are. Mm. And I mean, I talk to them occasionally about it. Most of the guys that I know kind of want to talk about anything but their kids when we meet up because it's like, it's a break from that. But yeah. it must be a trip. Like it must be a complete rejig of everything that you know and think and feel about the world because all of a sudden it's like, wow. It's not just me anymore. Yeah. There's this other entity that I've put into the world yeah. that's like a creation of mine that I'm responsible for and that I care for. and yeah. It blows my mind. I think, um, and Killian was born a few years after that. I think, if anything, that's changed things even more because uh, Neve was starting school. Um, so the opportunities for us all to be on the road together and stuff kind of got even less and less mm -hmm. so it was uh, what's the gap between those two then like six, six years six years six. yeah yeah um but yeah they're because they're a bit older now it's almost come full circle where they spend the we spent the last uh summer holiday we were at victoria's festival and we been to Ibiza and nice yeah it's been good that's a good time yeah I mean it's yeah. kind of the best profession to be in I think once the kids are of a certain age as well because also when you're not on tour you're like fully around you know it's not like you're doing a nine to five yeah, yeah. it's like if you're not on the road you're there and you're like what's up let's hang out let's do yeah. stuff yeah. so all summer holiday you can just kind of like take them around show them stuff that's good take them out with you yeah and like, oh my god <laughs> are you the cool dad um I don't know. <laughs> I'd have I to ask them. Never, they've never, <laughs> they never let on. admit it. Um, <laughs> I hope my daughter doesn't listen to this. <laughs> She'll be at home podcast. going, no, dad, you're not the cool dad. 
You are not um, cool, Dad. But well, you did get into a fight with the Gallagher brothers, yeah. and that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's the most shambolic segue of all time. But uh, I want to talk to you about that, if you don't mind. Obviously, you probably get asked about that every interview you've ever done. Yeah. But uh, is it a funny story? Is it one you look back on um, with a certain smirk? <laughs> it feels like a different person. Is it? What yeah. happened, first of all, if we can just outline the events? Uh, there'd been a few little uh, remarks. That From Noel in the press. Yeah, in the, in the NME. Which is hilarious because, as we've just seen with Lewis Capaldi, yeah. he's very much still doing it <laughs> Yeah, 15 years later. Um, <laughs> my one regret is that I didn't handle it with the same sort of humour that Lewis Capaldi oh, I mean, I mean, Lewis just it killed with, it, didn't he? Like, yeah. coming out of Glastonbury with that footage and just the video, yeah. he completely, if there is a, a winner of situations like that he completely yeah. came out on top yeah. um so, so what was noel just running his mouth kind of saying the usual noel yeah. gallagher stuff i think they'd done an interview with him and they would played him all these bands and right he'd hated most of them and it's, it was all the sort of usual bedwetters mm-hmm. comments yeah. and the, the singer's a cock i think that was the main thing that stuck in my head and uh yeah, so I was quite upset by it because I was sensitive and whatever. And uh, and you obviously looked up to Oasis growing yeah, up. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and I spotted him at Tea in the Park doing an interview. So I thought, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna hijack this interview. Amazing. So you just swam right on him. Sw- went right up. To, uh, I think I was talking to Danny O'Connor, and I just said, "No, what you? Why do you call me a cock?" Um, and he he said something like. I don't even remember saying it, but if I did, it's true. <laughs> All right. right. Okay. That, that makes sense. <laughs> so he wasn't showing any signs of remorse or regret? No, he wasn't like, I'm oh, no. sorry, mate. Yeah, it's, yeah, it yeah. It was just, um, and then Liam came over. Um, <laughs> well, so he spots you going into intercept Noel. He came to and the, get... <laughs> he came to the dressing room area. He's like, where's that lad from Star Sailor? What, what are you doing kicking off with my brother? Amazing. It was ridiculous, really, because there's loads of people around, so nothing was ever going to happen. Just like, just press people sort of think this is amazing. You're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> taking notes. Um, and then. So what did you say to, to Liam? Um, I didn't I say just, much. No. I think there was, there was just pe- people trying to split us apart, even though. I wasn't really going for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you want? (laughs) Um, And subsequently, I've met and spent a bit of time with Liam and uh, I've got on with him fine. And I I love the music he's putting out now. I think it's fantastic. Well, he is certainly, again, if there is a winner to come out of the feud of the Gallagher brothers, he's certainly on top. The people seem to be on his side, don't they? And a lot of it is the music that he's putting out. Yeah. I think it's just genuinely more in line with what an Oasis fan would want than yeah. what Noel's doing. I think. He's not, he, Liam's not taking pots at young bands no. or artists either. He's, no. he's still as sort of firebrand as usual, but he's going for Boris Johnson and he's going for uh, Noel still, Paul yeah, Weller. Noel. Yeah, the two Ronnies, yeah. as he calls <laughs> Paul and uh, what's the other one? Uh, Johnny Marr. Yeah. yeah, it just—I've just never, as much as I respect Noel Gallagher's songwriting, I've just never understood that need to kind of kick the little man, like the 
bands who are coming up, whether yeah. you like it or not. It's like, just enjoy your life and... Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's, it's quite no a unique trait in, in this, him, yeah. isn't it? There's not many other people that especially, do that, especially in the current climate where there's some horrible people in the world who need bringing down a peg or two. Yeah, and you want to bring Lewis Capaldi down <laughs> a peg or two. Yeah, like, I think the thing with Noel is though is he's made so much money that he's just so far removed from any kind of reality. Whereas I think Liam, although he probably has a bit of money in the bank, I think he's yeah. still a lot more in tune with the yeah, every man on the yeah. street. I love them both, though. I think they're both hilarious. I mean, <laughs> Good the, value. The music, yeah. the music world needs people like that to keep life entertaining, doesn't it? Yeah. Great value. Yeah. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, How does Phil Spector enter the equation? So album number two, is he wanting to work with you as he heard about you guys and he's been you know his interest has been peaked do you approach him and invite him to be the producer what happens there um that was another sort of weird uh connection where our radio plugger um was friends with his daughter right and it always kind of works in that weird way yeah, doesn't it? yeah. it's who you know people it's who you know or who knows who and as, as far as i know she'd been trying to get her dad to kind of come out of retirement and work with uh, work with a band that was signed to Capital, who we were signed to at the time. And he didn't want to work with Coldplay. And I don't, I don't want to assume that maybe they'll come out and go, well, no, we didn't want to work with him or whatever. But it did, it whatever for whatever reason, it didn't work out with Coldplay and it didn't work out with the Vines and it didn't work out with whoever else she wanted him to work with and uh but he wanted to work with us so um what did he hear what was the song or the album uh silence was... silence is easy um was the one that swung it and lullaby he loved right. he loved the song lullaby um but it's it's a weird kind of moment in time to talk about because of what happened subsequently well i mean that he didn't do the whole album, right? Did he just do a couple of songs off it? Um, it's weird. We he came over for like an initial session because right. I think everyone at the like the UK label was reticent about doing it because because of the reputation. That yeah, because he'd not done anything for such a long time, and we just had a big album, so they wanted to 
sort of more of the same, basically. Well, I guess if your uh, if your debut album is a number two hit record, then they're going to want a number one with album number two, right? Yeah. Is that was yeah. that the kind of pressure that was being put on? Was this next one's going to go to number one? It's going to be even bigger. Yeah. Um, and then you go, well, we're going to get this crazy fucking guy yeah. from the past. <laughs> He's famous for pulling guns in recording sessions um, and all of that. I mean, were you a fan of his work? Is that a silly question, of course? Um, I presume yeah. you probably were, of, of his production work at least. One of my favourite albums ever is uh, Born To Be With You, the Dion record. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but he came over for like a an initial few weeks to do a few songs for the um, label to kind of suss him out and to see if uh, if he still had it, basically. Um, and that's where the the two songs that made the record came from. Because um, he came back to work with us a few months later to finish the album at Abbey Road, and that was uh, a difficult experience. How so? Um, he was just a bit... Uh... Was he difficult from the get-go? No, the, the, the first, first sessions, sessions were, were good, yeah. But when he came back, it was just hard to communicate with him. And uh, yes, uh, did he seem like he was on drugs or crazy or prescription drugs? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was his sort of recording methods didn't uh, sit well with the band either. He kind of focused on me and and treated them like hired hands almost um especially the drummer it's like uh, he he was never called ben he was called drummer <laughs> drummer give me a beat um and he'd learned all these he'd been sort of playing for a long time and learned all these uh, fancy tricks and stuff which on the one hand you don't make an album to indulge the drummer but on the other hand, I can understand why why he felt like all his his uh, hard work had been a waste of time because Phil Spector's there going, just go boom boom cha boom boom cha. Like okay, um, if you say so, and the bass player as well. It's like it it felt like there was uh, a sort of wedge being put between us a little bit. How did you approach that? Did you speak to the guys directly and be like, it's clearly not me that's encouraging this? Um, this is just crazy Phil. Yeah, I think I sort of persevered with it a little bit longer because I thought, well, if the end result is really good, then it's it's worth the the hardship. Um, it's a, it's good for the... Uh, the ends justify the, the means. The, the right. VH1 behind the music oh, of course, mate. documentary. Yeah. Um, but everyone... Everyone kind of folded, sort of one by one, by one, one to be like, "This is whatever the hype and the the opportunity. It's just making everyone miserable. So we we need to do something about it." Were you happy with the two tracks that he did? Did they sound like? Shit oh hot? yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially "Silence Is Easy." It's like classic uh, Phil Spector. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just listening to it early before you came around. Cheers. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, yeah. what you were saying a moment ago as well is it's a difficult time because this would have been probably his last production duty, right? And yeah. then literally yeah. months, a matter of months or maybe even weeks after your album's out, yeah, 
Lana Clarkson is found dead in his home um, with a shotgun blast or gun blast to the face. Yeah. And he obviously is like, oh, it was a, a suicide. She kissed the, mm. the barrel or whatever he'd said. And then eventually they found enough evidence or whatever and convicted him and he's still in jail now, isn't he? Yeah. I was reading that he can't talk anymore. Like he's lost the ability to to speak because of some disease that he's got. Mm. It's it's uh, it's a horrible situation, really. And uh, Does that put any kind of blemish on that record for you in your personal memory? Or are you able to separate it just enough because of... Um, yeah, it does, yeah. Definitely, because it feels like it's like so many kind of um, artists or producers or film people <laughs> who have these kind of blemishes on their character that mm-hmm. to celebrate their work, um, there's still an element of celebrating them and, and their talent, which is which maybe isn't fair on the people who've been victimized by them. Yeah. Um, even well, even though the uh, they're they're still sort of claiming all sorts of things around the the Lana Clarkson situation. There's loads of other things that Phil Spector did which weren't uh, weren't very nice. <laughs> so um, and yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one, definitely. It's a crazy time at the moment, isn't it, with people like Weinstein and you're sort of finding out the truth about these people that have shaped culture and in such a profound way and it's yeah. forcing anyone with a hopefully a conscience yeah. or a moral compass to reevaluate kind yeah. of everything that we've grown up with, the records that we've grown up with, the movies that we've grown up with, the actors, the whole system, the entertainment yeah. industry. Yeah, I think... In terms of the Spectre stuff, what we're kind of holding on to is that he had nothing to do with the songs. He didn't write the songs, so... Thank um, God, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the songs are still pure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, songs, the songs are still us, and, that, and that's mainly what people have connected with. So uh, it's not entirely um, blemished or darkened by that situation. Is his name on the album cover? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And would that have been his last credit? Did I think he... so. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. I guess when you have got a murder charge over you, you're not going to be producing many records after that, are you? No, that's <laughs> so mad. Yeah. Mental. Um, and the the success of that second album. I mean, was it what the record company would have hoped it would be? Because um, I think the other thing is when you you start so big. Mm. And successful, even if the next record is still shifting hundreds of thousands, if it's less than the last, then sometimes, you know, I know how it goes. They're like, oh, this is a failure. And they put that pressure on the bands to... Um, or was that not the case in Star Sailor's case? Um, no, it, it felt like... Uh, I don't know whether they were disappointed or whether they were... Obviously, everyone would have liked the second album to be even bigger than the first one. But it felt like we still had the support of the label on the second album. Great. So it wasn't like, um, yeah. <laughs> after the Phil Spector thing, yeah. numbers aren't quite as good. They're like, yeah. that's it. Um, See you later, Star Sailor. And they had so, you back and they were yeah, invested they were, in the band. Did you stay with them for the first four album run? Yeah. 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 Oh, great. They were pushing us. Um, well, we we sort of moved around the, the companies within right. EMI, but yeah, yeah. stayed with EMI. Um, 
So yeah, it was. Uh, we felt it more on the third album that we were kind of, all right, things aren't going quite as well as uh, as uh, everyone would like. So, do you think that's because music was changing at that point, like the general landscape of it, or um, looking back, what would you equate that shift in attitude from think, within the label towards you guys to be a result of? Um, I think it's just. I think they they still sort of believed in us, but. It's just the natural way of things that mm-hmm. like nine bands out of ten their first. In fact, we're fortunate that we've got two <laughs> big albums because most people just have one and then that's it. Um, but it was hard to come to terms with because as a young person, you just think this is my life and this is my trajectory. And mm-hmm. especially if you start with such a whoosh of success, it's like okay, yeah. this yeah. is me now. This yeah. is all right. I can get used to this. Brixton um, Academy is just going to be my home my yeah. home every time yeah. I come to London. That's where we'll play, yeah. Yeah, and so it was hard coming to terms with that kind of uh, sort of going downhill slightly. Who was the dude you worked on the third record with? Rob Schnapp. Yeah. I, I mean, because yeah. he was Elliot Smith's guy, right? Yeah, I still, I'd, I'd sort of be... As bold to say that it's maybe not the best. So in terms of songs, it's not the best album, but I think the third album is the best produced um, out of all of them. Did you go to him because of his connection and history with Elliot Smith? Was um, that what excited you about working with him? Or Him and uh, Beck, he'd worked with Beck. Okay, Beck which Beck well. record did he do? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, Delay. Oh, really? But not, not... I thought that was the Dust Brothers. Yeah, he did a couple of songs on right. Old Delay. He did a Phil Spector thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think he'd worked with Beck kind of early on as well. Nice. Um, but that was a, a nice experience. We what was out. he like? Was he a cool guy? He was lovely, yeah. yeah. Um, so you made a good connection with him. Um, yeah. And uh, my daughter was young, just around the same age as his kids, so we kind of hung out in Silver Lake and it was... It was a nice experience. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine him in that kind of hipster world as just the king yeah. of the town, yeah, yeah, the mayor of Silver Lake. Um, but I, I suppose because I've become more and more, I've always loved Elliot Smith, but because I've become more and more obsessed with his music in recent years. Um, since going solo or just since getting a bit older? Um, a bit of both, really. Yeah. Um, maybe connecting more with his his vulnerability and his... Uh, um, mindset obviously not as severe as he had it but yeah. there's some parallels there because this is getting like therapy but hey man, the podcast through. has been known to go to those places so because I've been going be through, through sort of difficult things and I connected with with his lyrics more um, and subsequently thought oh hang on we, we worked with Rob Schnaff that was a nice that was a good experience and a, a source of pride that um we've not only worked with Phil Spector but Rob who produced um EXO and uh, yeah I mean good. beautiful timeless records yeah that really do touch the soul mm-hmm. um and I think music can be used as a very therapeutic positive tool um beyond just you know put it on and you smile it can yeah. go deeper than that and it can actually be I think a form of medicine and therapy 
yeah. um, not to pry too much into your life, but well, have you found with what you've been going through that you've used music and the creation of music as much as the consumption of music to work through stuff? And It's, it's an addiction, like, as strong as any kind of drug addiction, but without uh, as bad side effects. So uh, I found my, I was... I was up all night the other night because I was feeling anxious about something and I just kept putting song after song after song after song <laughs> to avoid... Um, Your own the, thoughts. My own thoughts. Yeah, and yeah. Quite, and it, it really, it helped. It kind of, uh, yeah, just kept me sane, basically. The night time is the worst time when you're inclined to go to those places inside your own head. Um, yeah. I found for about a year, pretty much nonstop, after I broke up with an ex-partner of mine, that then when I'm alone at night, and yeah. that's when the terror sets in, you know, and the amount of times I'd wake up and my pillow would just be soaking wet because I'd yeah. just been having like the most vivid and awful dreams. And I'm very much like that. If I'm up and about in the day and I'm distracted and I'm doing stuff, I'm like, everything's fine. I'm yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, you get in bed, you turn the light off and you're lying there and you're like, oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> is that something you've kind of had in your head throughout your life or is it something that's come um, on more in recent years and you've been just trying to work your way through um, in recent times? I think it's always been there a little bit, um, but it definitely come stronger now and... Uh, Sometimes, like, even when good things are happening, there's a bit of, like, well, this is going to end at some point. No. <laughs> well, Mark Maron does a bit in yeah. one of his routines about why he can't meditate to that same effect. He yeah. says the minute he sits into that plateau, yeah. all he can think is, well, this ain't going to last. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, you're out of it. You're out of that happy moment straight away because of your own self-analysis and yeah. Yeah. angst. I can relate to that, yeah. definitely. But I'm still, it's not... Uh, it's not something that's kind of ruined my life or anything. I do spend enough time kind of in the moment and uh, positive positive to, to sort of keep on top of it, I think. It's like any kind of thing that you've got, you've got to keep it under control. and Well, be conscious of it, I think. The yeah. worst thing that you yeah. can do is not be aware and run away or hide or bury I yeah. think the acceptance is the first step to... Yeah. Like, I'll definitely come away from this podcast <laughs> thinking, oh, I could have said that slightly differently. or I could have <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's honest. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, I wanted yeah. to ask you this, James. Were you a fan of the fame? Did you adjust well to that? Did you enjoy attention and that side of you know, being a successful musician, being in the limelight, getting into places for free, people <laughs> kind of chasing you around. Like, was that a side of it that you were comfortable with or not? Um, a little bit, yeah, I think, to be honest, there was definitely some... Well, what's not to like, yeah. right? <laughs> and then, because when it starts to diminish the stardom, is that when certain woes or insecurities then begin to settle in. Yeah, yeah. Because you've had a taste and then it's kind of like, well, I hope you enjoyed that. That's now over. Hmm. Yeah, it's coming to terms with the fact that these people, this sort of machine that's behind you isn't 
behind you. Isn't behind you and they're not there for life. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Um, but I, I guess as someone who's naturally quite insecure and shy and whatever, it's good to have the music to lose yourself in. To lose myself in. And in terms of meeting new people, it's an immediate icebreaker. So you don't, if you've done a few songs, whether it's a big show or just in a bar or wherever, if you've played a few songs, then you don't have to stand in the corner kind of biting your nails going, well, they seem nice. I might go over and talk to them, but what the fuck am I going to say? Or that girl's now that I'm uh, split up from my yeah, yeah. wife, but that girl's really look good looking, but I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm to too her. nervous to go. Yeah. <laughs> now it's, now then people come up and go, I really enjoyed um, listening to you sing. Oh, that's nice. Uh, what's your name? Bang. You, you it's a beautiful of, thing. Yeah, yeah. It really is. And, yeah. um, you know, I know you're laughing as you say that, yeah. but, but it really is a very uh, privileged position to be in. Yeah. Forget about millions of sales and, you know, loads of money and all of that. Yeah. Just that ability to be able to walk into a situation and have people want to talk to you because of something you've done. Yeah. And that, complete side of things like the anxiety and the stress of oh my god can i connect with this person what am i going to say is removed yeah and then it's just like you hit the ground running and you're off to a conversation and you've got this common interest which is music yeah and generally if you bond over something like that like if someone has the same taste in movies or music as you i find you're going to get on with that person absolutely you've got a similar psychological makeup yeah yeah so it's a very cool position to be in yeah Especially as a freshly single guy. <laughs> so what are you... Are you I'm, de I'm definitely <laughs> hoping that my daughter's not listening to this podcast now. Are a, a star sailor still going? Or did you kind of reform, do the bit, and then they're kind of now on, on rest again? Is What's the focus right now? Is it solo? Is it star sailor? Is it both? Um, a bit of both, really. Yeah. I really I enjoy the solo stuff because... Um, I've been working on this EP, that, the Quiet Ones EP, um, just completely on my own. Um, so it's not just a clever name. No. <laughs> and uh, yeah, what what I love about it is it's it's kind of going back to my back to basics, and I like that. It, this is going to sound a bit wanky and uh, kind of a, a metaphor or a simile or whatever it is but um it's like planting a seed just the tiniest thing and then watching it grow like more and more people hearing it more and more people getting into it and um it's just nice to see it that way whereas uh the sort of old label model and often a lot of what we've done with star sailor in the past it's like you've already made a grown a fucking forest <laughs> and mm -hmm. it it needs paid for so the pressure's yeah. already there um which is quite hard especially in this day and age it's quite hard to um to handle um so i guess whatever we do next with star sailor then it it's finding a way to to take that approach to it again and to be like this this has cost us nothing or next to nothing and uh we're proud of the music. There it is. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, 
you don't. I guess there is that thing, isn't there, with a band that has a certain level of legacy around it is you don't just want to put out new stuff for the sake of it under that same umbrella if it's not going to add to what's already there. Yeah, yeah, I think... uh, How were the shows that you did when you came back? Were they like a cause for celebration and well attended and did that get the old mojo ticking away again? Well, like doing shows is a is a no-brainer because yeah. we love playing and people still love those songs so we, we're happy to do shows um, and we enjoyed making the new record as well um, when was that on 2017 s- yeah with yeah. Uh, Rick from Embrace yeah um, it did pretty well as well uh, but then it's it's like so the reason the strength and everything behind that album was we've not done an album for years we're really enjoying each other's company, enjoying playing live again. Let's do another one. Um, and I had a lot to draw from um, as a writer as well. Um, so like you say, the next thing that's got to be... Um, it's got to live up to that, hasn't it's it? It's got to live up for, to For it. your own like sake of enjoyment as much as anything else, like you guys have got to want to get in a room together for the right reasons. Yeah. And not just feel like you're going through the motions to put yeah. out a product. Um. And it'd be nice to do something different as well. To so I think if we just get in a room and uh, write, then um, we're going to come up with something good and that might satisfy the kind of the hardcore fan base. Um, but it'd be nice to find a producer that no one would expect us to work with, or a, mm-hmm. a co-writer even that no one would expect us to work with. So, uh, just what to about keep the remixes? Yeah. The four on the floor one, like that was a pretty big kind of indie disco hit, yeah. wasn't it? In that sort of like Stone Roses, Happy Mondays kind of yeah. quite, vibe. Would, quite, you, would you do more of that kind of reworking? Would you collaborate with producers and DJs in that regard? Yeah, I quite like the idea of kind of surrendering some of the uh, pressure of of planting the seed of an idea and going to... Like you say, like certain DJs or producers, um, like just send me some beats and send yeah, me yeah. some ideas, and then oh, well, you could of, just do guest like vocal spots yeah. on, yeah, yeah, like a dance track. Have but you never done that? I've done lo- a few. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so your voice is ideal with, for stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Matrix and Future Bound. Um, been working with Eddie Tonic, who's a house DJ, and Steve Angelo's put out some stuff that we've done. So it's, I enjoy doing that stuff. It's good. But I think in terms of Star Sailor, like I say, it'd be nice if someone uh, sent us their beats or their productions or whatever, and then we can put our our kind of trademark on that and see what kind of, like the Primal Scream, Andrew Weatherall. Yeah. um, I think that's what we we need to do instead of another... uh, just organic record. kind of star sale. Well, there record. you go. The gauntlet's been thrown out yeah. here on the show. If anyone's <laughs> listening in your bedroom with some yeah. beats, yeah. send them over. Let me just have a look at my notes here, James. I want to see if there's anything else I wanted to pick you up on before I let you get out of here. Um, I think we pretty much... Oh, here we go. The Rolling Fucking Stones. Yeah. Uh, how many shows did you do with them? Uh, three, I think. Three. In Germany? Yeah. Oh, no, we played Germany with them, Amsterdam and Twickenham. I mean, so. in terms of a support slot, 
I mean, yours might be a different one, but for me, if I was ever to be offered yeah. the chance to open up for any band alive, yeah, it would be them. I mean, they're it, really, aren't they? Their last tour as well, they had like Liam Gallagher would do one show, the specials would do another. Like, yeah. They have the pick of the, the crop yeah. as to who they want to open. So um, tell me about when that offer came through. That must have been a pretty good day in the Star Sailor camp. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, it's one of those things as well that obviously our mums and dads can of course. relate to and, yeah. and feel pride in. Not that they don't feel pride in in everything that we do, but, but this is that's that particularly, pride. particularly yeah. special. <laughs> um, but to be honest with you, they weren't amazing gigs. They weren't. No. Why, why so? Because of the fans? Because of the way you were treated dare i say it or um no this they were they were great and obviously the catering's amazing the, as an experience it's fantastic um what did you have food wise what was on offer um, i heard keith just has cottage pie is that right yeah i've heard yeah. some fun, <laughs> funny stories about his cottage pie <laughs> it was just like all the meats and all the veggies yeah just classic chinese sort of pub roast indian everything. offerings yeah um but the the Stones kind of crowd is very. We're here to watch the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Who, there's it's like an ACDC similar sort of thing. Is yeah, they're the main event, and anything that comes before that is really just getting in the way. Um, but I don't, I don't want it to sound like I'm complaining because I think when you play in front of a crowd that's uh, going mental and really enjoying it, then you should feel spoiled and feel and not expect it. So it, it wasn't like we were downbeat about the yeah the it just reminds crowd. you that sometimes you gotta sometimes, you gotta work for it yeah yeah and sometimes yeah. it doesn't always um get the full desired reactions that you were hoping for but but the bet you didn't get bottled off stage no we we got a picture <laughs> That's a win then we got a picture with them as well which was obviously kind of cherished yeah and, uh, but the best probably the best gig i've ever done was a support Go slot on. with uh you two when uh and we were playing with the Snow Patrol as well. It was like a three-band bill, and we were first on. Um, but it just so happened that Four to the Floor had gone number one in France at the time. We were supporting U2 at the Stade de France. Mm-hmm. And the crowd, we obviously played Four to the Floor last, and the crowd went mad. And uh, kind of that, that friendly rivalry with Snow Patrol, who were doing really well at the time as well. It's a bit of like good luck, lads, kind of coming Go off on stage. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, they run after you. Yeah, um, it was you then, Snow Patrol, then you too, was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah so they're like, um, oh shit, yeah. follow that. <laughs> um, I'm sure they won't mind me saying that because they've they've done amazing. Um, and obviously, Nathan's one of the dudes from Snow Patrol, right? Yeah, he's I a know lo- Nathan, lovely yeah, lad, yeah. and done a few DJ gigs with him. Yeah, Gary's sound as well. Um, but yeah, and then watching Snow Patrol and watching you too, and it's just a, a great night. Amazing. So that would be number one gig for you, would it? Yeah, I just think everything... Just all the elements were in place. All everything was in place. I did a gig uh, a few weeks ago supporting Sting in France. Wow. What's Sting like? He's good. He's cool. Yeah, pretty... Was he back there meditating, getting in the zone? Yeah. (laughs) Doing his tantric. (laughs) No, we were just... We had like a two-minute conversation about the Champions League final. Um, and yeah, it was pretty, it was, it was cool. He's pretty quiet and kind of laid back and yeah, he was complaining that, uh, 
it's mad to, to talk about this as like Sting just having a chat about the Champions League finals. He was complaining as a as a neutral that it wasn't a great game or a, or a spectacle for English football. I was like, I don't care. I'm a Liverpool fan. <laughs> it's, um, all the games leading up to that, we'd been so good and produced so much drama that uh, we could do whatever we wanted in the final. You just deserve yeah. to coast it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't having it, was he? He was like, nah, lack the spectacle. Um, <laughs> and get yeah. out there and play a show. Good to it's, meet you. Yeah. It was, it was uh, yeah, it was, it, he's always like good luck and it's great to have you on board. And it means a lot when you support people when they kind of. Well, how you're treated, I go out and support a lot of bands as a DJ mm-hmm. and how you're treated by you know, the people that you're opening up for is kind of the make or break of the experience. If yeah. they're nice and they treat you good, it just makes it that much more special and enjoyable. Yeah. And if I'm they're good. dickheads, then it kind of taints the whole thing. I'm going to drop one more uh, Please name drop. Please drop we... all the names, James. <laughs> drop all the names. The, the only sort of big artist that we've ever supported that actually, because usually it's kind of like, okay, yeah, uh, I think, Bono's ready to meet you or you might see Sting in catering or something. The only artist who's ever sort of made a conscious effort to come to us or like massive artists who's done this was uh, Michael Stipe. When we played with R.E.M. in Dublin, like a one-off show, we got a knock at the door as well. So he didn't even sort of barge in or anything. It was just very polite. And uh, thinking, oh, it's going to be the uh, show rep with the crisps or something. <laughs> and open the door and Michael Stout was like, I just wanted to say I'm a big fan of your band. Thanks so much for, for doing this. And uh, it's stayed with me ever since. It was, um, yeah, very touching and great because they've... He's a genius, isn't he? It's amazing. I do. When are, why aren't they going to get back together, man? Like yeah. REM are one yeah. of the all-time great. I mean, they are alternative rock, aren't they? They're like the benchmark for oh yeah, yeah that yeah. whole scene. And yeah. man, some of those albums just heartbreakingly beautiful. Yeah. Night, night swimming, <laughs> super. So, and he was cool. He was a total down to earth. He was genuine lovely, yeah. gent. Yeah, and it. Who's the biggest arsehole you've ever met? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm going to sound a bit wet here, but I don't think there are that many arseholes, I think. Uh, so basically what you're saying is it's Noel Gallagher. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring back the feud. I think um, I think he's maybe got some issues yeah, he needs yeah. to work through. I've heard some stories about Johnny Burrell as well, but I'd never, I've never met the guy, so I'd never, not well, not properly anyway, kind of. That was around exactly the same time, right? When you yeah. guys were popping, Razor Light were. Yeah. Because he was famous, I think, for going out and saying in the press that he was going to be better than Bob Dylan or something like that. Yeah. Obviously, he knew what he was saying. He didn't probably believe that. But yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I hope he didn't, anyway. I'm trying to think if there's anyone who I dislike enough to sort of <laughs> throw under the Publicly bus. Publicly But no, there isn't. No. I think, uh, I think I'll stick up for artists in general, though, because I think... Uh, well, you never know what kind of a day they're having, do you? Yeah. And I think there's a tendency for the industry to blame artists for everything to say uh-huh. like we're all spoiled and we all demand so much and uh 
a lot of the people on the other side of the coin who've made mistakes and who've let their ego kind of got carried away with their ego kind of get away with it because they're um they're not the people sort of fronting the the whole thing so uh yeah just yeah <laughs> give them a break is what you're saying give them a break give us a, give us a break go yeah. easy i think that there just needs to be more balance where it's like just treat everyone as you'd want to be treated I yeah think, across the board whether that's a politician or whatever you know the obviously good, the good and the ups and downs that i've had in my career have not all been my fault and they've not all been the industry or the yeah. other people's fault um but you don't sort of there's not a lot of uh time to kind of go okay well we made mistakes here and maybe we should do this differently it's 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 a quite a cruel <laughs> business it's really. just boom next yeah. go yeah <laughs> like a, a a label can make mistakes that a band suffers from and they don't think we owe that band to kind of look at things differently and, and make things differently they think okay where's the next one mm-hmm. who's where's the next bunch of victims so yeah that kind of uh, a little bit of ownership yeah from, a a, bit of from shared, everyone shared yeah. responsibility yeah and yeah. lesson learning Absolutely. but i think it's all over anyway isn't it i mean yeah. <laughs> everyone just needs i'm the reason i love doing this show is it's kind of like it's completely mine it's independent of everything and i see yeah. a lot of artists and songwriters and creative people doing that now is it's just like i don't need you see yeah. in a bit i've yeah. got all the tools i need right here and it's like what you were saying earlier on when you mentioned about planting that seed and watching something slowly organically yeah. grow i've got to do this you know for the last two and a half years with this show and it's, it's great it's tangible and you see it and it's it's a fight and it takes work yeah but it's it's achievable yeah and and at the end of the day 90 percent of the people just want to hear the songs and a lot of the stuff that costs money like expensive mixing and mastering and press and promotion um it's window dressing it's mm-hmm. like uh well, look, la- at, look at nebraska yeah springsteen classic example just boom there's a little four track demo album yeah if this if the songs are strong enough, they'll find an audience, however big or or small it is. I think. Yeah. James, what a pleasure Cheers. chatting to you, mate. Thanks for you coming too. over, dude. And um, yeah, good luck with everything. What's up next? Anything you can tease? Um, just this uh, quiet one. The Eep. thing on uh, at the end of September, and some any shows in the diary? European gigs in October. And then uh, I'm thinking of doing some shows in the UK, but without any sort of PA or uh, like fully unplugged. There you gigs. go. Um, so in venues or just on the street? No, <laughs> <laughs> just finding like suitable. Like I love the Betsy Trotwood, the upstairs room there. Just kind of um, yeah, doing something a bit different like that. Where do you live now? In Tooting. Oh, so you're down in London now? Yeah. yeah. How long have you been down here? Um, I've sort of boomeranged from London to various different places for the last 18 years. Right, so, right, right. Yeah, like... Uh, spent, so London's pretty much high. Yeah, two years in uh, 
in Manchester and then quite a bit of time in Ireland because um, my ex-wife and my, my kids are in Ireland. So um, we lived there for a while. I love Ireland so much. Um, in Ballymena. Um, and, but then the rest of the time just like... On Chis- tour. <laughs> on tour or Chiswick, uh, Mortlake, where else have I lived in London? And Tooting. Finchley. Yeah. Uh what's your Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. if people want to hit you up on there and follow for information? James Star Sailor on Twitter. James Walsh Music on Instagram. And uh I don't know what the Facebook is. James Walsh. Yeah, that's that's the one thing I don't don't really Facebook's dead, isn't it? Uh, pleasure. I'm going to shake your hand again. James Walsh. Thank you very much, dude. I really enjoyed that. No Good worries. Man. Me too. Boom. I grew a thicker skin. I did. But I can get rid of all that is haunting my mind. I went and made my bed. I did. Can't get out of it So think back to simpler times Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 